sales strategy enabling podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcox, CSRO here at Revenue.io, joined by my co-host, founder, CEO, genius of all things AI revenue science, Howard Brown. Happy New Year, Howard. Happy New Year. Great to be here. And we are excited to have with us today the co-founder and chief strategy officer, Brian from SmartCart. Brian, happy to see you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Ryan, I, I want to start off with, as we're heading into this new year, a lot is changing in the world. We've had seen the influence of AI happen in 2023. You know, uh, that is front and center in the world of B2C commerce, which you're, you're front and center in. And this notion that with all the automation, all the technologies that now exist, there is real clear data seen a clear rise in human connection and authenticity. What I mean by that is go-to-market strategies now, you know, we were evolving rapidly beyond templated approaches, which have kind of been the mantra the last few years, to prioritization of authenticity, the human connection. And this really involves understanding your customer challenges, a little less scripting, more, more genuine, authentic connection. Now, in the world of B2B, that makes a lot of sense. They're often big, complex sales. You need that authenticity. You got to dive into that. You have to know situational context. In B2C, it's often a lot more, you know, it can be transactional and fast moving, but consumers are expecting more and more of this than ever before. And I'd love to pick your brain today as somebody, when you, when you were building smart uh, Sandcart, is this whole idea that you, I believe, didn't even have a sales team up until post 15 million bucks. And you figured out how to, how to do this as scale and offer this degree of personalization and, and diving in. So one, are you seeing it? Two, what's your advice to others? Yeah. I mean, when, when my younger brother, Scott, and I started Samcart back in 2014, luckily we had run a couple online businesses selling digital products like eBooks and courses in a couple of different niches. So we sort of had that muscle built of like, look, we we're selling inexpensive products, whether it's a $10 ebook or a hundred to $500 course, hypothetically around the $500 price point we could have got on the phone, but I had bigger aspirations. I wanted more customers than I knew I'd be able to get on the phone and close on a day-to-day -day basis. So I had to sort of figure out a way to sell them in an automated fashion to, to can a sales pitch in the form of a video or a written letter, landing page, email cadence, something digital that could be automated and scaled. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a struggle the first couple of years, but finally, you know, found some folks who I kind of emulate and study and learn from and, you know, figured out how to actually make that work. And so we just took that skill right over to Sam cart and we kind of had the same problem. We wanted thousands of customers as quick as we could get them. Um, you know, I, never have been still not an, an expert on selling over the phone i'm sure i could handle a call well now i know how to sell but you know it just wasn't in my kind of personality to you know get someone on the phone and then sell them um so yeah we it was kind of out of necessity that was the skill we had to learn um and we were selling a mass market tool samcart we have customers that get into the 100 million dollar plus revenue mark but most of our customers are anywhere from zero to $20 million a year. And it's relatively inexpensive. Our highest price plan is $500 a month. The lowest price is 79. 
So it's not, you know, a lot of the unit economics don't make sense to build a sales team. Um, and I didn't know the first thing about doing that. So I figured, look, I already know how to write a good sales script, um, turn it into a video, automate it in the form of a webinar or a video sales letter or some kind of sales process that can be automated with a couple of different, you know, mediums. And we just kind of figured out how to make it work. And that's kind of where the strength that we've leaned in on. Um, and I think it just so happens that that's actually how most of our customers sell the 25,000 customers that we have all over the world, selling all kinds of different products. That's yeah. I actually can't think of, I think a couple of our top sellers do have sales teams, but most of them, whether they're B2B or B2C, that's kind of the style that they, they use as well. So we get, you know, a lot of insights behind the scenes on what's working for them. Um, you know, we try to share a lot of information kind of across you know, the entire user base. Fascinating. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Soundcart and then tell me, you sound like you have some secret sauce as it relates to videos and messaging. What have you learned from these folks and what are you learning from your current customers? Yeah. So Soundcart in a nutshell is essentially, I don't like comparing it to Shopify because Shopify is a totally, like they are a catalog store model. Like if you have a huge e-commerce store with 500 t-shirts, you, you should not use us. We, we argue you should take your best performing products. If you're a performance marketing driven business and you do a lot of email campaigns or paid ads, a lot of Shopify top sellers will put their kind of their flagship products on Samcar because it's just more dialed in, it lets you do more things to optimize conversions, to really kind of custom tailor that entire checkout and sales process. We originally built it just for ourselves. We were selling digital products, courses, eBooks, coaching programs back in 2014. And the Shopify's of the world just don't really work all that well for that type of product. So we thought, one, we need to solve this problem to grow our own business. And a lot of our customers at the time were those types of entrepreneurs that we thought they probably will like what we build if we build it right. So it's essentially a checkout platform that is crazy optimized that lets you, the business owner, test and tweak every little stage of the checkout flow to boost your conversion rate of prospect to sale and boost the not only day one average order value by offering them kind of a tailor-made upsell process, letting them know about other things that you sell and do a lot of cool things on the back end to drive up lifetime value and kind of track the whole process. Um, so that's why we built it. Uh, in the beginning, are you know, it, it, it's not really all that secret sauce. I mean, it's just a, you know, I understand the fundamentals of sales, which both of you do as well, and probably most of your listeners do. It's, you know, if it, it's that blend between science and art. And I think the one thing that I've been fortunate enough in for SamCard is that I was the customer that I'm now selling. So I understand what their fears are, what their frustrations are, what their aspirations are, um, both at the beginning stages, because I've been there, you know, spending my first 18 months online, making not a single sale, and we've built a big business. So I know, you know, what we struggle with and what our kind of top sellers struggle with. So that's number one. I mean, the foundation of any sales pitch is understanding your customer. And then just being a good communicator, you know, being able to how to sell without, you know, being overly salesy, the pressure on a little bit without being too high pressure, 
how to lead with benefits instead of features, how to you know create scarcity or urgency. All those things are kind of the foundation of every pitch that we that we put out there. And I think what just kind of really helps is that you know we've gotten pretty good at communicating and doing things in a way where you know you sound trustworthy and you actually are. And you know how to back up claims and all those foundations. We just can all of that into you know either a video that becomes a video that lives on a landing page or turn it into a webinar. So you kind of create a sales kind of event-based environment that by default kind of create, puts the pressure on because it's a kind of fixed date and time special offer that we're making. Um, it would just take all those kind of foundational elements and work them into whatever other channel we're using to push leads over the edge, ads, email, SMS, um, you know, all of that. And so I wouldn't really call it secret sauce. It's just kind of, look, there's tried and true things that work. And we just, I get the secret sauce is don't break the mold. Like don't try to reinvent how humans think and make buying decisions and, um, you know, try to use those to your advantage. Brian, as, as I hear you say all of this, I, you know, I agree emphatically. It reminds me if I almost like I'm listening to a, what I used to re- work on a gardener and buying behavior patterns and stuff like that and then the importance of sell on outcomes don't sell on features right like i i hear you say uh i i guess i also want to double click though when i think of b2c and i think of scaling that how are you operationalizing like that like it's one thing we all agree i think every listener would agree with everything you're saying but how are you operationalizing that is there a certain data that you're looking at to inspect to make sure that is happening like how are you making sure that people are actually using an outcome driven approach outside of spot checking and trusting they're doing it so like at some point when you have 15,000 customers you know there has to be enablement around that in in the b2c side yeah i mean we we kind of built that into the platform so i mean obviously we can't you know, force or coach 20,000 different businesses. That's not what we're built for. We're a SaaS company, um, you know, not a, a services business, but we try to bake into the product the ability to see the numbers that suggest you're doing things the right way or not. You know, the ability to track once you get a customer, what is, how, what's the LTV doing over the first, you know, a couple of weeks, months, years. Um, and if that number's not moving, something's broken. You know, we, show and expose the conversion rate of every single page, whether it's a, a checkout page or an upsell page where you're making another special offer. And we, you know, are constantly kind of watching those numbers and reporting back to the marketplace. Hey, you know, whether it's this niche or kind of internet wide, here's what we're seeing here, are the numbers you should shoot for. Obviously there's a million factors that come into play, you know, for us to say the average checkout flow on Samcar converts it. 11% is sort of useful, but price point matters, market matters, you know, there's a ton of factors. So we try to break that down as easy as possible, especially because we have a lot of entrepreneurs on Samcart that are under the million dollar a year level. And, you know, they don't have data teams to go, you know, run and crunch all these numbers. So we try to make it easy to digest. And we use those same numbers in our own business. Um, you know, we have metrics that we're looking for in every promotion or campaign or new offer that we put out that, you know, if we're above or below, are going to give us good kind of key indicators on whether or not that that pitch is dialed in or not. So uh, I'm going to use an analogy here, and, and you and Howard can tell me if you think this works or not. But um, 
<laughs> if you think of the stock market, and one of the basic rules if you're going to go buy and sell stock is what, right? If I'm going to go buy a certain stock, understanding the neighborhood of stocks, kind of like a house, or maybe let's do a house analogy, actually. Erase the stock horn. If you think of buying a house, what's the first thing you always do when buying a house? To establish a price point. You're going to go look at a comparable, right? Because that's going to tell you roughly what's going on in the neighborhood. Stocks are kind of the same way you buy within a neighborhood. Commerce has the same types of things that the data that we need, you, you know, you reference in your lifetime value, you're looking at the past two rates, conversion rates, all of those things, all of those metrics. And in SaaS companies and B2C companies and econ companies, we all use them. But comparable data and benchmark across the functional piece that you're assessing and how am I converting on for that? And then publishing that data to others so they know where to improve is actually how you improve it in total, right? It's not this hero ship idea that I say something better than somebody else. Often it's just functional mechanics of knowing if this approach in a landing page is working better for this type of cohort, why wouldn't you basically emulate that, right? I won't say copy, but emulate. And the same in a checkout process, if there is a friction point that is tripping you up and everybody else isn't doing that, why not? Likewise, if you're doing it better, you actually want to share that with others, despite it, you may think it's a competitive advantage, because that shared ecosystem is what drives up overall consumer engagement, overall consumer trust of this kind of purchasing process. Do you see it that way? Like, does that make sense? A hundred percent. I mean, that's our our exact approach. I mean, we're we're in a fun position where it, the the business that one of the businesses we had before Samcart, we made our money by selling those strategies in the form of training courses, you know, white paper stuff like that. Um, we're in a position now where we can and should give all of that away because one, it proves that. Sam Card as a business knows what it's talking about and actually does have insights into the data that we claim we have. And two, if our it helps us convert new customers because people come to know, like, and trust us because of the information that we share. And it obviously it helps us because the more money our customers make, the more successful they are, the longer they're going to stay with us, and the more money we're going to make as a business. So we've always enjoyed sharing that content, not just because in the past we made money from sharing it, but now we actually get to give all of it away for free and share it and, you know, help folks that don't have access to the kind of information that we have. So that's really, you know, as a marketing team, that's kind of our mantra. That's how we get most of our customers is by sharing that information on what's working. What do we see? You know, because even if it's in a different niche than a lot of our customers are, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of kind of common denominators that people can pull from, somebody selling, you know, a fitness supplement that, you know, someone who might be a, a life coach could use the same strategy and techniques on their website, in their store, in their sales process. So that's exactly how we approach it. Brian, I, I loved what you just said here, which is you're there helping people. You're using your data to help your customers and to help your prospects. And Early in the conversation, you talked about sales and you said, well, you don't want to be too salesy. Well, I think the whole idea of being a salesperson today has evolved from 
pushing things that people don't want to helping customers make buying decisions or giving them the information they need to make choices. And so your ability to collect benchmarks and best practices and share those things make you and your service that much more valuable. And that is, you know, I think a lot of people have negative connotations around sales because it's not about delivering that value. What Alistair and I try to emphasize week after week, it's really about understanding your customers, understanding their pain points and delivering value. And if you're doing that well, then you're doing sales well. And there is no negative connotation to being a helper. Yeah. And I, I, in in our world of kind of SMB SaaS, you know, the the MailChimps of the world, the Shopify's of the world, it, I don't think those companies share enough. Uh, I like I, I be coming from the entrepreneur world who had, you know, we we had our own products that we were trying to sell and we used, you know, all the most common platforms. You know, I, I was in groups myself where folks are paying 50, 100 grand a year to just be in a room with other top-notch sellers because all I wanted to know was what are they doing because no one else would tell me. And so it's fun to like, it again, it, I think that comes back to being, having grown up in this market and knowing what these people want, that it, I think it's what's given us an advantage that I can sit down with our sales or marketing team and remind them, Look, every new feature we come out with, like those are great. People want to know we're improving the software. They love new tech. They love new features. You know, whether it's just a shiny object or it truly does move the needle, they want to know we're always improving the platform. What they really want to know is what have, what are our top sellers doing? Like in our case, they know that you know we have some big names that use the platform, and yeah, we can't go share everything about all of our customers, but there's a way to do it. Um, you know, without giving too much away to share with them, like, look, if you want to emulate the best, we, we can share a lot of things that they're doing. And in many cases, th that's what moves the needle sales-wise more than us launching some new feature that took two years to build. And, and that's the commonality between B2B and B2C and anything else. It's people want help. People want to know how to do things, what works and what doesn't. And at some point, most products become somewhat commoditized, but your expertise, your knowledge, your experience, and how you communicate with your customers, that will differentiate you from everybody else. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we are nearing time here, Howard and, and uh, Brian. And Brian, I would love to just kind of pose a final question to you. If you could invite your industry cohorts to give away one piece of data that they currently aren't, what would it be? Man, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, it'd be, it'd be a different example for like, depending on what the company is, but yeah, a buddy of mine runs uh, a great SMS marketing platform. And I probably actually texted him this before, but you know, what, what I would ask him to share is different than what I would say, you know, the folks over at MailChimp should share. Like, I want to know hit the whoever's sending the most text messages, which probably hints at their SMS marketing sales strategy is working if they're sending a whole lot of messages. You know, what is the most common text that goes out from that account? Um, you know, and with any context around that, you know, time of day, frequency, um, how many texts are they sending out, you know, per lead that's in the account, all those things that I know I can kind of read between the lines and get to, kind of the underlying strategy that they're using 
uh, for SMS, like that to me, you know, to our business, you could probably call me today and say, I'll tell you the answer for 50 grand and I'd probably pay it because I know what, like what that would just that one shortcut. Um, I know how much that would be worth. So that's probably one example. It's great. I love it. And I'll break my own rule of cutting us off here, but Howard, I just got to piggyback off what Brian said there was Brian and for our audience listening, you know, that's an awesome, I would agree in B2C insight and already today in B2B is an example, right? Of data tracking. We know that in, you know, late stage deals, the volume of texting between buyers and sellers and B2B sales is fundamentally critical as a metric. So it's amazing to me, Brian, and how to, you know, for a while there, they often seem different based on velocity. At the end of the day, a human buying a product is a human buying a product. And, and you know, this, the, you're texting us the industry for B2C, I agree with. And B2B, you know, I think that's one of the key things that Howard and team pioneered for years is, is we're, we're tracking and understanding that behavior and action that goes with that. Yep. All right. I have one final thing, Brian. We got to take you through the trivia piece and then we'll wrap up and, and get this get this show on the road here. But you know, we always like to wrap up with a little bit of levity, a little bit of fun right at the end. And I would just say, you know, we want to ask you a basic question. And this one's a bit of a layoff for you. We'll, we'll maybe go harder on you next time. But what percentage of consumers are likely to trust peer social recommendations over traditional marketing, advertising type pushes in B2C? Is it A, 30%, B, 50, C, 70, or D, 90%? Yeah, I would assume, I would guess it's got to be either 70 or 90. It's got to be the lion's share. If not, I guess that's eating. I picked two. So. <laughs> well, well, we'll take it. I'll give it to you. It is actually 90%. And I just taking this all the way back through when I think of Sam Card, I think of what you built and, and the organization, you started with this idea of trust and trust is built through sharing. Trust is built through knowledge. Trust is built through helping others. Yes, you get better recommendations through that. But the first critical step is actually sharing it and being empathetic with them up front. So I uh, love that you're doing that in the industry. Keep at it. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's where we need to go. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. No, thank you again. For everybody else, please remember to like and subscribe and uh, send your questions into Howard and I, and we will do our best to get to them on a future episode. Brian, we look forward to having you back and maybe diving into a little bit of what are the near-term trends and what has been the influence of AI in your space over the last 12 months as well. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everyone. Oh,